Well, and like Virginia makes it sound so ominous and it's like, is that just Virginia or is that part of the book? No, that's part of the romance. <laughs> you got to You got to feel like you're being stalked a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to part two of our upcoming picks. We are looking at forthcoming books for May, June, July, and August. And each of us has two picks today to round out our five forthcoming picks. So we are going to start with Kareen today. Kareen, do you have some very Kareen books. This season, I only have Korean books, which makes sense. I'm Korean. I should have books. But ironically enough, this one is a very Korean book. And to kind of uh, play on something that Fiona talked about in our last episode, it kind of gave me a little bit of grief on it. This is Agatha Christie. And then there meets none meets with Japanese detective mysteries. So there, there's your blurb. There's your your two comparators. This is actually a, a series and a, a publisher that we have talked about before. I think a lot of us share a love for this particular publisher. I know Liz is a big fan of them. And this is a series that I have been following. And it has been such a delight to know that a new one is coming. Did I cheat? Yeah. Okay. So technically this book was published probably in like 1960s, but, but it's the first time that it has been actually published in English in translation. So it totally counts and I'm absolutely getting away with this. So this is the brand new book in the Detective Kindachi Mystery Series by Seishi Yokomizo, who wrote the amazing, oh, so accomplished, they are golden age detective novels. And as soon as you kind of open the first page, you're like, oh, I'm in good hands. I am in the presence of a master of their craft. And I just need to sit back and enjoy this ride. Seishi Yokomizo is the author of The Village of Eight Graves, The Inugami Curse, and The Hanjin Murders. And this is the next book that is published by Pushkin Vertigo, our, our most dear publishers of all. It is the newest book. It is Death on Gokumon Island. And again, this is loosely, loosely based on Agatha Christie and Then There Was None. So our detective, Kosuko Kindachi, finds himself going to a very remote island. And we all know, or mystery fans all know, is that you should not go to remote islands that are very inaccessible with a small, close-knit families that have been there for hundreds of years because that is a one-way ticket to murder town. And what do you know? He goes to this extremely remote island where, tragically... The son of one of the most important families on the island has been killed. So on a uh, transport ship coming back from World War II, this son was killed. However, Kosuke, the detective, was there to witness his very last words. 
with his dying breath, this man implored Takosuke to go to the island because his three stepsisters' lives are in danger. Compelled by the wishes of this dead man, the detective takes himself to this island where, who'd have thunk it, as soon as he shows up, gruesome murders start happening. And so he has to discover the who, the what, the where, the when, the why. If you are an Agatha Christie fan, if you appreciate the work of those like true craftsmen of the mystery genre, you will absolutely delight in this series. Have I ever solved one? No. At the end, do I feel stupid because all the clues are there? Yes. But it is such a pleasurable reading experience. So I I would recommend to all my fellow classic mystery fans to pick up any book in this truly great series. All right. I have my first pick here. And I honestly like I do not know what it's about. So I'm going to read the description and then reflect on it. I know we we try not to just straight up read the description, but like I am, I don't understand. And I it makes me feel like it might be a Virginia book because like, what is going on here? This is The Sisters a Sputnik by Terry Favreau, who is a Canadian author from Ontario. Okay. An odyssey wrapped in a love story. Set in a near future of artificial people, the sisters Sputnik are a time-traveling trio of storytellers for hire who are much in demand throughout the multiverse of 2052 alternate worlds. Each world was created by the detonation of a nuclear bomb in Earth Standard Time. Home of the sisters' leader, aging comic artist creator Debbie Reynolds Beyondi, her 20-something apprentice Unicorn Girl, and their pop culture-loving AI Cassandra. Tales of Earth Standard Time that was, from world wars to the space race to Hollywood celebrities, have turned the sisters into storyteller rock stars. What? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I love it, and I want to read it. Uh, it sounds like a, a mind warp. It sounds like a, like, like I want to say it sounds like a Virginia mind warp, but then the question is always, does it deliver? So this is kind of my my wild card my wildcard book of like it's either going to be awesome or it's going to be like fall flat and 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 I'm not going to understand what's going on in a bad way so if you want a surprise maybe check out the sister Sputnik there's a multiverse that's not the Marvel one so count me in all right (laughs) I think I heard Corinne's brain. Maybe it's not so much like the 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 plot as like why why Fiona. <laughs> All right, um, we are going to move on to Gabriel, who has promised a rom com this episode. I don't know if it's going to be this one. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know if I promised a rom com because I don't know if either of these would consider be considered that. I think it's Virginia's going to have a rom com, but also that's an Ontarian I can get behind. That's an Ontarian I can get behind. Oh, my gosh. I think I went to school with half of the kids. Unicorn. <laughs> so familiar. Uh, I love a multiverse. I love a multiverse. I love something. I love something wild. If I'm, I'm someone who will look up things I don't always want to see the answers to because I'm just so curious. I'll see a link. I'll be like, that's cursed. And then I'll click it. 
that sounds like a book that I would I would click on because I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to like it. Similarly, in terms of a little bit of strangeness, this next book is very different from the other books on my list, I would say. It is Death by Landscape by Elvia Wilk. So it is the only adult nonfiction that I have on my list. And for a very good reason, when I looked at the description, I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I am so into it. I didn't quite know what to make of it. Immediately fascinated. Kind of similar to Fiona. I read the publisher provided description, had far more questions than answers. It's a collection of essays and musings from a feminist sci-fi perspective that reads like speculative fiction. So it handles topics. We, we've got we've got a few we've got a few winners out here, like medieval nuns, live action role play, drunk birds, erotic composting, solar punk. It seeks to examine the relationship between humans and the environment and how it relates to extinction. It also asks what stories we can look to that center Earth and not always the humans in it. So it examines the works of Octavia Butler, Doris Lessing, and Carson, Jeff Vandermeer, and others, and is described as fan nonfiction as it explores how we talk about dystopia and utopia, the self and the world, the real and the imagined. How do our relationships to narratives inform our relationships to the world and to each other? Wilk wants to break down these literary worlds to kind of interrogate the writing process and ourselves as writers and um, sort of people who experience the stories as well. And while they're essays, they're also kind of memoir because there is a vulnerability in it that has Wilk's own self and curiosity kind of shine through. She has a sense of humor with a very narrow focus on subjects that are simultaneously familiar and strange and sort of like both sensory on like a very like microscopic level, but also nebulous. She's a journalist who's written for Freeze, Art Forum, The Atlantic, a number of others. Her first novel, Oval, featured a dystopic future centered around a drug that could increase empathy. And one of the praises that I found for the book was actually from Omar el the author of What Strange Paradise, which was a book that was up for awards and we recently talked about it. So I think this one actually has, I want to, I want to say it has wide ranging appeal. For me, just reading the description reminded me a lot of the sheer number of hours that I have sunk into listening to Jacob Geller's video essays on YouTube. Absolutely perhaps one of my favorite my favorite people out there. Jacob Geller, if you ever see this, you're doing good work. And he has a thing that it sounds like she does as well, where you kind of jump from one topic to another that seemed vastly different, only to intertwine them so beautifully that you can never again hope to separate them in your mind. So that was Death by Landscape by Elvia Wilk. I'm excited. I think it's going to be fun. Even if I only end up reading a couple of the essays, I think I think it's going to be good. Exciting. Um, yeah, nonfiction, a bit of a surprise, but I can see, I can see that for sure. Okay. Now you're going to move to Virginia, who apparently has the rom-com, who I just didn't believe that. So therefore I tried to put it on Gabriel, I guess. It can't fit. You can't fit. You can't fit that into your brain like rom-com, but I'm not going to talk about that yet. I'm going to save that for the last. Anyway, so the next book that I have is, you know, we are here at a Keep It Fictional book chat. You know, we love books here. And I'm assuming if you're listening to this book chat, 
that you're also a book lover, that you also try to spend as much time as you can to devour as many books as you can in this lifetime. And in my next book, the characters are also book lovers. But when I say they devour books, it's not like us. They literally devour books. They eat them. This is the book Eaters, a new fantasy novel, and it is by Sun Yi Dean. Initially, when I first read about this book, I'm like, oh, this is a perfect book for us, for all of us book lovers. It is about a family who only eats books. When they were young, you get fed a steady diet of fairy tales. But if you're bad and if you misbehave that day, then you don't get fairy tales. You get boring dictionary pages. And I thought, you know what? That sounds that sounds kind of fun. So I was totally, totally not prepared for this super dark book. There is nothing quirky, nothing fun about this family at all. Which, of course, that means is a book that I love so much more. This is a family of book eaters. They are a kind of a dying breed of people. And they keep to themselves. They don't hang out with humans. They live in really remote places all over the world, and they only associate with other families like them, because it is so important for them to continue the family. And because there's so few of them left, they need certain people called the knights, which are also book eaters, to arrange marriages for their families to make sure that there's like no inbreeding or things like that. Whenever a girl was born to the family, the whole family gets really excited. The girls, because girls are so precious, they are valued. Because if you're a girl, that means you can bear children in their mind. So that is so important to them. So girls are treated like princesses. But that also means that if you are a girl, you know what your fate is. Your job is to make more kids. So when you are at the right age. The knights will arrange a marriage for you. You get sent to a new family. The knights will escort you there, make sure you end up there safely, and then you spend time there making kids. When your child is born, you get to spend about two years with them, and then you will be sent back home. Depending on what your age is, depending on whether you're still at it, you know, able to. Get more kids, then they will arrange a different marriage for you and send you to a different family. And there again, after a couple of years with your child, you get sent back home. And so that is the tradition, the life that they all know. Devon knows that that's what she's going to do, and she doesn't really think much of it. She's kind of curious, you know, because she sees these aunts, these other older women that lives in her families, and she often wonder, like, what happened to their kid. This is something that she's curious about, but you know, she knows that this is what her life will be. Until she gives birth to her first child, and she see her daughter for the first time, and the moment she lay eyes on her, she knows there is no way she's going to leave her daughter. There is no way she's going to let anyone separate her from the daughter. She will fight, and she'll do anything to try to stay with her. Now, this is sort of the story that happens to Devon in the past. So, the story of the book eaters, what they do, and about Devon and her first daughter, 
all that story happens sort of in the past, and we get those chapters as the book moves along. But we first met Devon in the present. At present, Devon is living with her son Kay, and they are living in an apartment somewhere in the city, so with people. And you're sort of wondering, like, okay, well, what happened? How did she get there? And when I said dark, the first scene, the first time you meet Devon, she was at a bar. She was trying to meet somebody, and she was there. And she met a woman. They got to talking, and they decided to go back to her house. The minute she opens the door, the woman was about to go in, and she noticed that there was a child sitting with a Game Boy. And the woman was kind of taken back. She didn't realize that Devon has a son. So she's like, "Uh, maybe this is not the best idea. It seems a little weird, you know. Like I'm here for a one night stand, and there's a kid here. And Devon was like, oh, you know what? It's okay. Don't worry about it. Kay is going to go to sleep soon. That's fine. You know, please come on in. Make yourself at home. I'm just going to go change. Then Devon walks to her room and she closes the door. And the next thing we hear is screaming. Devon listens to this. And she knows that her child Kay is feeding, because in the book eater family, most of the time, when you're born, you are a book eater. You eat books, but occasionally there will be mind eaters. So you can figure out book eaters eat books, mind eaters eat minds. You don't kill them, but they can't function anymore as a human. And when you eat. Somebody's mind, then all their experiences, all their memories, and all their their life become yours. And so, even though Kay is a six year old boy, he has the experience of so many different people. And so, this is a story where you have to figure out what happened to Devon and her first daughter, and then what happened to Devon now. How did she get here, and what does she have to do in order to provide for her child? And now Fiona knows why this is a book for Virginia because this is a cannibal adjacent book. I'm gonna say, it feels a little bit like that. It is a very, very dark book. So going back to my theme, I think what the story really ultimately is about is how stories shape our lives, how words make us believe, how we should treat people, and what. Life should be like for you, and how you believe that there are certain options, and these are the options that you have, and they are the only choices that you can do for your life, and how the power of those words and what that bring to us, and what we have been fed as a child, and how important it is to feed people with the right words, because if not, then your life is going to be shaped in a very, very different way. And it's really talking about that power of stories for good and bad. If you're willing to stomach something quite dark, this is an amazing book. It is a really, really interesting debut that touches on a lot of things. I really love sort of that alternating past, present kind of timeline story in here, and I feel like you know you will、um, get to be horrified,、um, definitely horrified, and a lot of very explicit scenes about what happened. But at the same time, it is a really, really, really interesting fantasy. So、um, I was too highly recommended. This is. Book Eaters by Sun Yi Dean. You've done it again. You found a cannibal story where I didn't think there was one. Well done. I will not be reading that book. <laughs> I know. I remember seeing that book on your list. 
I think. And then I, you took it off and I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe Fiona found out what this is really about. So I'm going to snatch it up. I think it was a placeholder, but I am glad to know what it's actually about because I will not read that book. And I had been thinking about it. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are going to move on to our final book now. So that is five for each of us, 20 books in total. Hopefully your TBR is really starting to fill up. Kareen, what's your next pick? All right. So I'm going to preface this by saying that this is very much a me book, and you'll see why very soon. But it is also a book that I have to admit that the concept of it and the description of the plot make it sound really quite awful and to the point where I'm not sure that I want to read it. But I'm going to anyways, because the book that I am choosing as my last pick is Cult Classic by Sloane Crosley. So people who know me know I love a cult. I love a cult. I just I just enjoy a good cult, um, even though the cult in this book doesn't sound great, doesn't sound like a, a nice classic, classic cult. It seems more like, how to say, like a critique of modern day society, <sighs> which please, I know I live in it. This is being described as a comic romantic thriller. It is about a woman who is engaged to someone named Boots, which she has questions about and I support her in those questions of whether she really wants to be married possibly she really wants to be married to someone named Boots um and she's at a dinner with colleagues and decides to run out to buy some cigarettes and while she is there she runs into an ex-boyfriend Ugh, awkward coincidence it happens but then she runs into another one of her ex-boyfriends and then another one of her ex-boyfriends and then another one of her ex-boyfriends, and another one of her ex-boyfriends, until it seems to be a little bit more than a coincidence. The description that I have from the publisher is that it is a city full of ghosts of the past. Her best friend and former boss, who is a magazine mystic guru, seemed to be kind of manipulating the world events to test our main character. I don't know. I read so many descriptions of it. Some people said it's like a metaphysical mystery. If you enjoyed Russian Doll, which I didn't, you might enjoy this book. The reason why I really am picking this up is because A, it has the word cult in the title, and B, because I really enjoy Sloane Crosley's nonfiction. Sloane Crosley wrote, uh, wrote, I was told there would be cake, which I really, really loved and would actually recommend. I know this is going to shock you, Fiona. Picking up the audio book the audiobook was good I know and I I listened to all of it the whole audiobook so for these reasons it's on the top of my to be read pile whether I will actually read it and whether I will actually enjoy it are probably two very different things but sometimes I feel like you got to take a chance and so I am taking my chance on cult classic by Sloane Crossley I don't know you why you're saying sounds. It sounds amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. Are you joking? It sounds terrible. <laughs> when I read the description, I'm like, yeah, no, I need to read this right now. I don't know what you're talking about. Sounds great. I, I tried to find another review that was a little bit more descriptive of the plot so that I was going to be interested in it. No, that one is awesome. Are you joking? I can't. 
hey, you read it. You tell me how it is. I will. I will read it. I was going to read it for the cult episode, but you now talk, talk about it. So anyway. All right. <laughs> Thank you for that. Not so Korean book. I feel compelled to read it as well. So we'll see. What have I done? <laughs> what have, and again, the only the cover is what's me. The insides of the book are absolutely not me. So apparently, it's for everyone else. There you go. I'm a I'm a reader of the people. <laughs> it's the vagueness for me. The less you say, the more I want to read it. <laughs> not you personally, but. <laughs> All right. For my last pick, I have chosen a very straightforward historical fiction. I have noticed that I have a bit of a gap in knowledge about South Asia. So I am working to kind of fill that gap right now. And I actually am hoping to travel there in uh, the fall. So uh, in the spirit of that, I have chosen The Last Queen by Chitra Banerjee. Diva Karuni. Now, she is a very prolific author, uh, but I haven't actually read any of her books yet, and I'm very much looking forward to it. So this book is about the last Sikh ruler in India, uh, and the Sikhs were a warrior class and were also a ruler class at this point in time. So it's like mid-19th century. And of course, it is very exciting because it's also about a woman ruler. This is Jindan. She has a remarkable story uh, because she started out as a peasant girl. And the book is divided into four sections. Girl, her life growing up. Bride, when she marries the current ruler. And then queen, when she rules beside him. And rebel is the final section. So, of course, it's not spoilers because it's history. But essentially, Jindan was the youngest uh, woman, the final wife in the Zanana. So that would be quite uncommon for her child to become ruler. And there's, I am guessing there's a lot of political struggle happening. And, and often in these historical novels, you get to see all of the scheming and backstabbing, which I have like a love-hate relationship with. And then when her son is born... The ruler dies and she becomes the, sorry, I can't think of the word right now, um, but, you know, essentially the ruler instead, well, the, uh, the child comes of age. This book also deals with British relations because uh, during that time, the British were in India. And during the last section, she is in fact a rebel because they are fighting the British. So... I'm excited about the straightforwardness of it being a historical fiction, but I think the fact that it is about a powerful female ruler who has been largely overlooked uh, because she had that regency rule, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't the, the ruling queen, she was the regent. Her political savvy has been, has been really written out of history. So it promises a bit of a love story, which I'm a little bit wary about. Like I say, it's part of that sort of love-hate of, of sometimes how things are written in historical fiction, where you think, oh, I'm so into this, but like, are they just running away with, the, with this concept? So 
I definitely don't vouch for only reading historical fiction for your history, but for me, it is the perfect way to get in the frame of mind, to fall in love with a character, and and really get excited about a period of time. And um, Jindan promises to be a very exciting female character, someone who pulls herself up from the peasant class, and there is no way she is able to do that without a lot of scheming. So I'm excited to see how she does that and and how she's going to come off uh, in this book. You know, is she one of those women that we're supposed to supposed to be impressed by, or are they going to play her off as benevolent and and kind despite despite all of this? So that is the last queen by Chitra Banerjee Diva Karuni. And I know that if none of my book friends here read it, at the very least, I can probably rely on Karine, who works uh, at the Cirque Desk, because she reads all the Indian historical fiction. Um, so I will definitely have someone to talk to about it. Okay. Gabriel, what is your final pick? What are you going to round things off with? All right. I think just based on the reviews that I was able to find for various books, I potentially saved the best for last. Unless unless you're in a nonfiction person, in which case Elvia Wilkes actually might be the best. But Sonora Reyes' debut novel is called The Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School. So this is another queer young adult romance, although I think this one is less strictly romance than Café Con Lychee was. This story is, I would say it's more coming of age than it is romance, exploring the intersections of otherness that the main character, Yamilet Flores, is how she experiences this at her school. So Slayton Catholic School is rich and white. And on top of being neither of those things, Yami is the new girl. At her last school, she was actually outed by her best friend. And she's kind of hoping that she can stay in the closet this time. Yami's terrified of the consequences if her mom finds out. But she accidentally falls for Bo, who is the only openly queer girl at the school. Not only is the sapphic romance between Yami and Bo very cute from the little excerpts I saw, there is also an incredibly sweet brother-sister relationship between Yami and Cesar. Cesar is also queer, and the two have a strong bond. That includes conversations about what would happen if they were ever outed to their mother. And these conversations kind of take into account the different relationships that each of them have with their mother, as well as their own viewpoints on what it is. And one thing that I really liked about the book when I was looking at it is that it makes it clear that coming out isn't the epitome of a queer coming of age story. (laughs) And that people aren't living a lie to protect themselves if they decide not to come out. And so it handles like a lot of really difficult topics, I think, in a way that I've seen before, but not nearly as much as I I wish that I was able to. And so it does tackle uh, things like racism and homophobia. It also tackles self-harm and depression and deportation and a few other things that are particular to Yami's story as uh, someone coming of age in this world. When I say that Reyes' book isn't completely about romance, it's because it's really about Yami the character. She's very driven. She's very well-rounded. You can really hear 
from the sounds of it and like from the excerpts that I saw, you can really hear her voice in, in anything. And it's really about her growth. It sounds amazing. And anyone who went to a rich white Catholic school as a queer kid definitely has some leftover religious trauma. And so I think that you can identify with enough elements, even if you don't have that background, uh, to find something really both filling and challenging in this one. So I would recommend it to anyone who is open to reading something that deals with the darker side of being a teen in a world that's hostile to them, but still comes out strong and victorious. And maybe in ways that we haven't traditionally counted as being the like winning, winning in our world, because I think winning looks different for this type of character than it would for for someone in maybe other queer coming of age uh, stories that I have seen before. So I'm really looking forward to that one. I think it's going to be really good. Thank you, Gabriel. Yeah, that definitely checks a lot of boxes. I think I will put that one down as well. All right, Virginia, we are finishing off book number 20. And it sounds like it's going to be a little bit of a surprise. It Sure is. <laughs> Surprise to me also. <laughs> this is actually a last minute switch. Like I found about, about this book last night when I was ordering books for the library. And I'm like, you know what? I need, I need to read this. I need to tell people about it. Yeah. And let's just say originally I felt like, okay, well, this is a story that happens in the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, like we're just going to represent the Pacific Northwest. Let's just start with that for now. This is a book called Patricia Wants to Cuddle. And it's by Samantha Allen. It is not a kid's book. Definitely not a kid's book. This is a story about a reality show called The Catch. It's kind of like a bachelor-esque kind of story. And so there are four remaining contestants now when the book begins. And they are fighting to be the last girl standing. And these four contestants for the final thing, they're being whisked away to a mysterious island in the Pacific Northwest. And they are all prepared for this grueling week where they're going to, you know, the crew is going to try to capture the drama that everybody wants from a show like this, like The Catch. And the contestants, they're all here for a reason. Some of them, yes, for love, but most of them for fame, for sponsorship, for followers. But they didn't realize that they are not alone on this island. And no, don't worry. There's no cannibals here, Fiona. Don't worry. They're not alone, though. Someone is watching this very strange display of heterosexuality here. Someone else who lives on her own, a misunderstood local who just wants to make a friend. So they decide to reach out. On this season of The Catch, contestants must compete for love and also their lives. Samantha Allen is the author of Real Queer America, LGBT Stories from the Red States. This is the first novel. And why am I reading this? Why am I reading this book about a reality show? It's because if you are like me, about 12 years ago in 2010, the Vancouver Winter Olympics happened right here. And if you are like me, you may have fallen in love with the best ever mascot of all time, Kwachi. And since then, <laughs> I have been looking for books or whatever else about Sasquatches. <laughs> 
this book is described as wonderful, weird, laugh out loud, sweet, viciously funny. This is the lesbian Sasquatch novel you have always wanted. And this Bigfoot lesbian rom-com mystery horror genre is going to be the new thing, I guarantee you. And Kirkus said that this is the kind of book, the queer horror committee for people who watch The Bachelor and The X-Files back to back. I mean, I just have to, I just have to tell you all about this. So if you are also ready for this amazing Sasquatchian horror comedy, please check out Patricia Wants to Cuddle by Samantha Allen. Immediately, immediately it's on the list. I'm here. That sounds so amazing. And I didn't realize that I could have that as an option as a book. I didn't know either. (laughs) (sighs) So we have a tradition on Keep It Fictional that every year uh, there is a book that um, Virginia and Kareen agree on and both love and then bonus points when the rest of the book friends also really enjoy it so i'm going to put in a really early guess um that patricia wants cuddles is is going to be that book for us because why else would it exist i just i just googled it because i needed to know there is a Bigfoot romance erotica subgenre mm-hmm. out there. But this is this is different. This hits different. I think it's the reality. I think it's the the, the like sapphic reality show already. I was I was expecting secret cannibalism. I was expecting them to get picked off by something. I didn't realize it was going to be like picked up for cuddling as opposed to picked up for like eating. But I think this is better. I think this is yeah. Well, and like Virginia makes it sound so ominous and it's like, is that just Virginia or is that part of the book? (laughs) No, that's part of the romance. (laughs) You got it. You got to feel like you're being stalked a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did did you say it's a horror comedy? So there's going to be horror. I don't know where it is going to go, but it's also supposed to be very sweet. So, wow. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Thank you so much for bringing that to us what a great what a great book to end on okay now you you have a bigger tbr hopefully um and something to look forward to make sure that you get into our catalog now and put those holds on yeah maybe you can read it before the book friends i don't know we're all pretty quick with our holds (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for part two of our forthcoming summer reads. We'll be back next week with another exciting topic, no doubt. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. (laughs) 